0: Good morning. Hey, will you thank Graham and Jason and those that have brought worship to us and their team? Also, this didn't get said earlier. Um, We have, through uh, a guy here named Nick Heinzen, Kayla Heinzen's husband, a connection to Bad Daddy's Burger Bar. They donated the thousand or whatever pounds of bacon that are out there. And so will you thank them? I mean, what irony. On Father's Day, Bad Daddy's Burger Bar becomes Wonderful Daddy's Burger Bar. It's just, it's, it, it, we got to notice that. So, anyhow, hey, as has already been said, those of you online and here in person, happy Father's Day. And if you are not a father, um, as you think about your dad, we wish you a happy Father's Day. And if that still does not describe you, here at West Bowls, we rest in the comfort of a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so I, I pray that we would all glean that today as we go through the day. Well, a few things I have um, discovered being a dad. Um, number one, there is a, there's a point where you, that you get to that you can't fathom uh, when you're younger, that you just don't care anymore. So, here's what I mean. Yesterday, I'm ironing this shirt because it's a very dad thing to do is iron a shirt, okay? And one of my kids said, dad shirt alert. And I looked at this shirt and I was like, I don't even care. Yeah, it is a dad shirt. And this is a dad shirt alert. So, that was number one. I, I went, I'm, I've been liberated from, from caring of even being made fun of by my own children. Uh, number two is, so this was my dad growing up. He had the, uh, remember Tom Selleck, the mustache? Yeah, he he rocked the dad mustache. And it's just something I've never been able to do. I've never really wanted to do, but I did want to see how it would look. And so I threw on a fake uh, Tom Selleck mustache. (laughs) And I mean, it was disgusting on my phone screen this big. This is hideous. So take that down, please, thank you. Um, (laughs) And then number three, the third thing I've learned being a dad is, okay, it is down, good. each of our children has to be approached differently. Each of our children has to be approached differently. And that's something I've had to really discover the hard way uh, as, I've, as I've journeyed as a dad. But I'll explain. Yesterday, for example, our daughter, True, um, she was faithfully cheering at her little brother's. Lincoln's baseball team made it to the Little League Baseball Championship yesterday. And they won Ken Carroll Monsters. All right. So... And I was telling somebody, I never understood parent irrationality at youth sports events until yesterday. I mean, I was like, do I know anybody here? Does anybody know I'm a pastor? Because I am, I am losing it here. But anyway, so true, she's, she's in the Mike Wazowski costume from Monsters, Inc. because it's the Monsters. And so she's cheering on her little brother and all his teammates. And she was jumping up and down. And you've, we've all had this happen where it, it was nothing major, but something something happened in her neck. Just, and she pulled something or strained something. If you've ever had that happen in your neck or back and you just can't move, I mean, it is just the worst. And so all day yesterday, she's just like moving so stiff and so carefully. And it's just, you know, her eyes are tearing up. And so as I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, okay, I got to approach true differently than I would approach either of the other kids. Okay, with true, you know, it's, it's a lot of um, nurturing and caring and empathy and holding her. Uh, that, that's how we approach true. Now, I was thinking if this had happened to Lainey, Lainey doesn't need, she, she doesn't want to be held. Okay, you're hot, you're sweaty, dad, you smell, I don't want you to hold me, okay? But I would feel better if you bought me lunch <laughs> or if you bought me a car. Or, or, or my own house, something like that, okay? That's Laney, okay? So it's a different approach with, with that child. And then Lincoln. If this had happened to Lincoln, I, this should sum it up. He's a boy, okay? Like literally rub dirt on it, belch on it, and he is good. You know, we laugh and we keep moving. But we have to approach our children differently because they're so uniquely made by our Heavenly Father. And that's true of children when they get hurt. And that is true of children when we spend time with them. And that is also true of children when we talk about what we're going to talk about this morning. We're taking a break from the Gospel of Mark. I know we just took a break a few weeks ago. We're taking another break today. But it's especially true of children when they do the thing that we all do, and that is rebel. Rebel. See, as I look through this across this room, there are a few different faces of rebellion that I, that I would say pretty much cover it. when when I survey the room, and as I think about even the people in my life outside of this room, when I think about the idea that we have rebelled against our Heavenly Father, there are a few faces of rebellion that I want to walk you through this morning. And, And one of them happens to come from one of my absolute favorite passages in all of Scripture. I mean, it's an account that I wish I had had growing up, because honestly, this form of rebellion is mine. This is the one that I have been mired in for far too long in my life. And maybe some of you can relate. It comes out of 2 Samuel chapter 9. And here's the deal. David, King David that we've known, you know, as you think about the Old Testament, that David. He becomes king. And when he becomes king in 2 Samuel, we get to 2 Samuel chapter 9. And David is, he's just surveying the kingdom right now. You know, Saul, Israel's first king, is gone. David has been made king. And he's looking around. And the thing you got to know about ancient kings is this. When a king would come to power, there was this ancient practice that was often gone about called bloodletting. Okay, now bloodletting was this idea that when a new king came to power, they would look, they would kind of survey the land for any remnant of the old regime. And what would they do? They'd kill him. They'd eradicate them to make sure there was no insurrection, that nobody was going to rise up and threaten their kingship. So David's looking around at the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 9, and he says, is there anybody from the house of Saul? Now that sentence right there should tell us, oh, he's out for blood. Because when Saul was king, Saul became envious of David. And what did Saul try to do? He tried to kill David a few times. And so you got to think that might be Just ruminating in David's mind, in the back of his mind, he says, Is there anybody left from the house of Saul? And then he says something so puzzling. He says, That I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now, if you don't know the story, Jonathan was the son of Saul, Israel's first king, who had wanted to kill David. So Jonathan and David, Saul's Saul's son, Jonathan and David, they become like best friends. And Jonathan knew his dad wanted to kill his friend David, and so he actually rescued him, and he protected him, and he stood up for him. And at one point when they were younger, they made an oath. There's basically an oath of peace between them because they loved one another, but as they looked ahead, they said, may there always be peace. May there always be kindness shown between your descendants and my descendants. Well, time went by after that oath, and, and there was a, this battle that um, basically Saul and his son Jonathan were killed in. And so David, now king, looks around. And he says, is there anybody from the house of Saul that I can show kindness? This isn't bloodletting. I'm not out to get somebody that I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. And this servant, this man who had been servant of Saul, comes forward. He said, there's one. There's one, and it's this name that you got to practice the pronunciation of this or it's going to get you in trouble. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, okay? I'm not going to go into how it can get you in trouble. Just try it a few times, okay? But he says, yeah, there, there's one left. His name's is Mephibosheth. Now, there's some backstory to Mephibosheth, and I promise this is all coming back together. Mephibosheth, when he was younger, just a childhood accident rendered him crippled. He was rendered lame in both legs. Now, can you imagine in this society, that culture, you know, there was so much physical work to be done, especially by the males, okay? Males would go about so much manual labor, so much physical work. In Mephibosheth, if you, were just, if you were just in Mephibosheth's place, you grow up, and every single day, you see everybody else doing the work that you can't do. What would begin to be your narrative Day after day after day, as you watch your peers, as you watch the other guys, as they go to work, and you can't do anything. Well, Mephibosheth is brought in before David. And here's what happens. King David says, Mephibosheth, hey, it's you. And then, and, and if you got a handout on the way in, uh, this would be a time to take it out. We get to this verse in Second Samuel chapter 9, verse 8. <clears throat> Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? You want to know one of the faces of rebellion that we are, or we are so subject to and so susceptible to as children of our heavenly father? And this is that first set of blanks on your notes rejecting our worth, rejecting our worth in the eyes of the Father. And I don't know about you, but as I look back across my life, this has been it for me. I mean, how many of us, we look around, and despite what's being said to us, we believe otherwise, right? God, what, what would you possibly do? Maybe you don't use Mephibosheth's phrase, dead dog, but you've said something like it, right? Right? Because I can't, and I'm not capable of, and how could you ever, and why would you even notice me? Maybe that's you. Maybe that's some people around you when you leave these doors today. We reject our worth in the eyes of the Heavenly Father. And it's, it's very subtle But I think what strikes me about this statement from Mephibosheth is it's right on the heels of what David had said to him right before. Listen to this, verse verse 7. Don't be afraid, David had said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you, listen to this, you will always eat at my table. I mean, there's three or four things, three or four pieces of great news in there. And in the face of all of it, Mephibosheth says, what do you want with a dead dog like me? See, one of the ways this, form, this face of rebellion plays out is we can just overlook good news right in front of us over and over and over. And it results in walking around with this label. I'm just a dead dog. That's one face of rebellion. Now, I want to jump to Luke chapter 15. This is maybe one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. And this time, it's our Savior. He's telling this story. And he's talking about the relationship of not just one. I know we zero in on one, but two sons to their father. And many of you probably have heard it. You know it as the, the parable of the prodigal son. But he's talking about these two sons. And here's, here's basically summing it up. This younger son comes to his father says, hey, whatever you were going to give me when you die, I want that right now. So, you know, father in the story is already feeling wonderful. I'm sure I'm imposing that on the story. But the father says, sure. Yeah, you can have it. And then what happens next is just unbelievable. And maybe we're just so used to the story. But when you read it, you just think, are you kidding me? Are you actually going to do this? This is actually the route you're going to go? And it's one of the faces of rebellion. Luke chapter 15, verse 13. Not long after that, after he's gotten his share of the inheritance, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered. Not just spent it and, ah, uh, you know, I just got, I got a little careless with it. Squandered his wealth in wild living. That second set of blanks, Roman numeral one, letter B on your notes. We have rejecting our worth in the eyes of the father, second face of rebellion, running after fulfillment outside of the father. Now it's interesting because if you follow this story, this is one of those faces of rebellion that again, you begin to see the specific nuances of the way it works. Just follow the story here. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So we should notice something here. And you can make a little note on the side if you want. But the thing that he thought he had enough of was no longer enough. See, a lot of times when we run after fulfillment outside of the Father, that thing that we think we know best, we think it's going to carry us, we think it's going to sustain us, there's a point that it no longer is enough. But it gets worse than that. I know. Welcome to church. Happy Father's Day. It's going to get worse, okay? Verse 15 and 16. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs, okay? So his job is to feed pigs, but this is where it gets worse. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. See, not only wasn't his inheritance and what he had left home for no longer enough, But now he was settling. He was settling. Never in a million years would he have imagined eating pig slop. And yet now it was all he could think about. He didn't just want it. It said he longed for it. So now he's moved from what I thought I wanted was no longer enough to now I'm longing for, I'm settling for less. And no, you and I don't face pig slop every single day, but isn't this what we do? You know, there's a number in the account. There are credentials after our names. I'm not knocking those things, but if we think that's going to sustain us and that's going to feed us outside of eternal purposes, uh uh-uh. uh. Uh uh. You know what that is? That's settling. That's longing for something less than what can sustain us eternally. <clears throat> Verse 17 and 18 and 19. When he came to his senses, He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, now I want you to pay attention to what he says. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Do you notice what he made his plans around? He made his plans around something outside of his relationship to his heavenly father. He said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like a hired servant. And what happened was in his mind, the relationship changed. Suddenly this was transactional. This was not a father-son relationship anymore. It was boss, hired servant. Second face of rebellion. We'll reject our worth in the eyes of the Father. We'll run after fulfillment outside of the Father. And what it does is it chips away at the father-child relationship that God gave us at the cross. There's another face of rebellion. And it's actually found in the same story. Jesus keeps going. The younger son, he comes home, and his father is so pleased to see him. The son can't even get his plan out to him. And the father sees him and he says, hey, give him a robe, give him a ring, give him sandals, kill the fattened calf, let's, let's have a feast. So this older son, how many of you are older siblings? Yeah, what, what happens inside when the younger one gets something that you don't? Yeah, I know. It's irritating, isn't it, right? Because you think, oh, I was the guinea pig. You learned parenting on me, and now they're, they're reaping all the benefits, right? Sorry, I've said this a few times in my head about my, my younger sister. <laughs> so he hears this commotion, and there's this big party going on inside. And he, he looks to one of his uh, coworkers, and he says, what's, what's going on? He said, what, well, you didn't hear? Like, your younger, son, your younger brother's back. Your father, you gave him a robe, you gave him a ring. And I imagine the older brother was like, okay, that's enough. I don't need to hear anymore. No, and then he gave him sandals, killed the fat and the calf. There's a party for him. And then we see this third phase of rebellion. Verse 29 of Luke 15. I'm sorry, we're not there yet. So the, the father runs out to him. Father runs out to him and he answered his father Look, all these years, I've been slaving for you. I've been just slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never, hear that absolute, never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And this is yet another form of rebellion. This time, it's relying on ourselves instead of the Father. Do you hear what justified the older brother? It wasn't what the father had done. It wasn't what the father had provided. In fact, none of that even comes up here. Instead, the older son says, look what I've done. Look at all I've been up to. And he didn't even notice. The account continues, and you begin to see some of the nuances of this form of rebellion. <clears throat> Let me jump back. Look at, look at verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. You know some angry people? (laughs) Sure, we all know angry people. But this anger was specifically tied to not being, in his eyes, noticed. So the father comes out to him. Let me read 29 again. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. See, there's a kind of anger that can come up within you and me that begins to keep a track record. Of all you've done and all that everybody else has done. Isn't there? And we begin to do this comparison game. Where we look left and we look right. And we think, okay, how am I doing in relation to those next to me? Verse 30. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. There's that comparison. But did you catch the label he's walking around with? Mephibosheth, it was dead dog. Younger son, it was hired servant. Older son, slaving. I'm just your slave. You don't care about me. You don't want to know. Now, I wouldn't say necessarily that those are all the faces of rebellion, but I would say those about cover. They about cover it for many of us, don't they? Reject our worth in the eyes of the Father. Run after fulfillment outside the Father. Rely on ourselves instead of the Father. And it's not just something that's happening in here. It happens out there as well. Now, can you imagine, can you imagine just for analogy's sake, could you imagine being handed a blank check, signed, guaranteed? You can fill in the amount. Can you imagine being handed that check and saying, no, I won't take it. I won't take it. Because in the case of Mephibosheth, you know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm not worth much. I can't take this. Younger son, you know what he's saying? He's saying, I've done too much. I can't take this. Older son, you know what he's saying? I've done so much. I won't take this. And one can't come to the table for a feast. One can't come home as a son. And one can't come in and celebrate the good news. Can you imagine And here's the common thread between these three. These three, Mephibosheth, younger son, older son. They all were on the verge of remaining hungry. Do you want to know what is at the core of rebellion? Is hunger. We're all trying to satisfy a hunger of the heart and the soul. Every single one of us and every single person out there. And so we think we've got different ways to do it than what God has laid out. Which is why, which is why I'm so glad these stories don't end where they do. We've got to pay attention in the face of rebellion to the responses of the Father. You've got to see the responses of the Father, of our Heavenly Father, in each of these situations. <clears throat> Let me jump back to Mephibosheth, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 10. <clears throat> Excuse me. David sees Mephibosheth and he says to him, <clears throat> and this won't be up on the screen. Sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read coming into it. <clears throat> he says to the servant, King Saul's servant Zabah, who told him about Mephibosheth, you and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him. That is Mephibosheth. And bring in the crops so that your master's grandson, Mephibosheth, may be provided for. And Mephibosheth... Grandson of your master will always eat at my table. Now, here's the interesting thing about 2 Samuel chapter 9. If you were to just go through there and count that phrase, Mephibosheth will always eat at my table, at the table of the king, comes up four times. Now, in Hebrew literature, you want to know what the author is trying to emphasize? Just pay attention to what's repeated over and over and over. And what's the emphasis? Mephibosheth, you always have a place at the table. You always have a place at the table. Dead dog or not, whether you see yourself that way, you always have a place at the table. Roman numeral two, letter A in your notes. Mephibosheth received the father's promise. Four times this promise is laid out to Mephibosheth. And the interesting thing is at the end of that chapter, you want to know what it ends with? Mephibosheth always ate at the table and he was lame in both legs. He never got better. He never from in in his eyes got more useful, more able to do the manual work that everybody else was doing. Instead, it was all grace. I mean, this is one of those stories that I'm like, why wasn't I taught this growing up? I mean, it's the gospel sitting right smack dab in the middle of Second Samuel chapter nine. You have a place at the king's table. And if this is your specific form of rebellion, if you're like me, where you've maybe struggled throughout your life with rejecting your worth in the eyes of the father, you have got to hear over and over and over. You have a place at the table. You always have a place at the table. We come back to Jesus' parable of these two sons. <clears throat> Younger son, he's sitting here in pig slop. And listen to this, verse, Luke 15, verse 20. He got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, while he was still a long way off, the father didn't sit back and be like, oh gosh, look at this bozo. Here he comes. I'm going to get my speech ready. He is going to pay No, while he was a long way off, his father saw him and is filled with compassion. We've been going through the book of Mark and only recently in Mark chapter 6. You want to know what came up? I mean, it's been sitting there in Jesus all along. But you know what Jesus is showing the disciples? The father's compassion. He was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now, Many of us would focus on, well, yeah, he got a robe, he got a ring, he got sandals, he got a fattened calf, he got a feast. But you want to know what jumps out as I read this story is the passage of time. I mean, you think about the time it would take to squander an inheritance. Probably took a little while. And you think about somebody getting to the point where they realize, gosh, I need to go find work. And I need to go find some difficult work. And I I just need to find something. Probably took some time. And then you think he probably, probably maybe enjoyed something different at first until he got to the point where the job became mundane and he, he ceased enjoying it. It probably took some time. What I love about the account of the younger son is that the father didn't go chasing him out the door. And the father didn't grab him by the arm and say, don't do it, don't do it. Let me tell you, let me just list all the consequences of doing it. You know what the father did? He said, let him go. I'm going to let him go. I'm going to trust that God still holds him. Because isn't this what we do? We try to be savior to some people. We try to chase them down and keep them from making mistakes. When maybe one of the things God uses is letting them get to the end of their rope. And hitting rock bottom. Because you know what that does? It produces humility. The very thing that he loves so much that he pours grace out all over it. Roman numeral two, letter B, the younger son received the father's patience. Patience. If only we could see the patience of our heavenly father as we make our plans, as we try to figure out our way back, God knows, the father knows that it's his patience that's going to keep the bridge of the relationship. A father and son, open. You get to the older son. We read this already, but there was a little piece that uh, I didn't really highlight that I think jumps out so clearly now. The older brother became angry after hearing the younger son was home and received a feast. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. See, a lot of times we get so caught up in our own track record and what we've done and relying on ourselves. Did he recognize the father came out to him and pleaded with him? The father didn't sit back and say, well, when you get over it, you can come on in here. Instead, he said, no, 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 I'm going to go to him. And as the older brother vented, the father listened and then responded Verse 31, my son, the father said, you are always with me. You're always with me, which means what he says next, and everything I have is yours. I mean, why, why would any of us rely on ourselves when we have everything he has? See, that's that piece that we forget about. And that's that face of rebellion, that we somehow think I can, I can grab something, I can get something, I can pursue something better than anything and everything he has to offer. And the father reminds us, no, you are always with me. And everything, every resource at my disposal is yours. Now, it looked a little different for each child, didn't it? The father's approach, right? The word of God, it, it kind of... Points in different directions. There are different responses here. There's promise, there's patience, and letter C here the older son received the father's pursuit. He pursued him. But you want to know what all three children received, letter D in your notes? Is the father's provision. Every single one of them was invited to the table, weren't they? Look at those three statements. Second Samuel chapter nine at the end. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Didn't matter, didn't matter. If he was humble enough to say, I wanna go to the table, then he always had a place at the table. But the father said to his servants about the younger son, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. The younger son, in his humility, came home. And before, in his pride, he could even get his plans out, the father said, no, no. I've been patiently waiting for you. Come to the table. Let's eat. Older son, my son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. Here's what we got to see in the midst of all this. Who's doing all the work? See, at the core of rebellion is this hunger that we think we fill right? If I just do differently, if I was just capable of more, if I just, if I just, if I just, it's not us. The thread throughout these stories is what the Father is doing on our behalf. Because you know what? You got to know this above all else as you leave this morning. The Father's doing informs our being. That's not how we think, is it? It's easy for us to wake up, look in the mirror and go, no, my doing establishes my being. And yet Jesus would say, no, no, no. It's the father's doing that informs your being. Now, some of you, some of you just need to hear that and you need to sit with that. And you need to walk out of here and maybe consider, gosh, yeah, I, I, maybe I struggle with all three of these faces of rebellion. Maybe there's something else. Or maybe there's one that has just been a recurring theme throughout your life. Rejecting your worth, running after fulfillment outside of him, relying on yourself instead of him. But some, some of you, this might be more of a reminder that you need to carry to those out outside these walls. To the people around you. Because one of the things, you know, I I, I tend to bring up a number of times. I would love to see us be a congregation that takes the mission and takes ministry into Monday. But a real concrete way of doing that is learning to diagnose the rebellion we see in front of us. Because some of you are surrounded by people that are just rejecting their worth. And you want to know what they need to be reminded of and pointed to? The promises of God. Some of you, you're going to encounter people that honestly you just watch and they're running after fulfillment outside of the Heavenly Father. And you know what they're going to need? Patience. Patience. They may very well need somebody who just walks next to them while they go forward thinking they're going the right way. Or maybe they'll need some help connecting the dots. Saying, hey, this is making you miserable. And the trajectory of it is down, down, down. You're settling and settling and settling. And none of it's filling you. And they need patience. And some of you, you you encounter people that just they're relying on themselves. They think if I could just be the best version of myself and I could just live my best life ever, I'm going to be enough. You know what they need? They need to be pursued. They need to be pursued. That's how we carry ministry and mission into Monday after we've all gathered here on Sunday or whenever you gather with people from here. When you begin to recognize that, Then you begin, you begin to share the responses of the heavenly father in the face of rebellion. I, I, you know, I, I come across these slices of life that I think just like say it, you know, and I'm going to bring up a name that some of you are going to be like, why would you bring that name up in a Christian church? Tom Brady, okay? I'm going to bring up Tom Brady for a second. Some of you are like, I know, you're heading for the exits right now, okay? And I've, I've shared this with you guys uh, once before. But a few years ago, I saw something happen in the Super Bowl, and I just went, there it is. When we step into the faces of rebellion with the responses of the Heavenly Father, this is what happens, okay? So Tom Brady, you need to see this picture in order to get the context, okay? So I know this is painful for some of you, but just bear with me. So it's the end of the Super Bowl a few years ago. Tom Brady had had his first season with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers after years with the New England Patriots, and he just, he's dominant, okay? He's going to go down as one of the greatest, um, some of you would say cheaters, but uh, no, athletes to ever play the game, okay? And he's he's handed this Super Bowl trophy, and I notice it's up on this big platform, and it's like the owners of Tampa Bay couple coaches and Tom Brady and Tom Brady's kids. There's three kids up there with him. And he's handed the Super Bowl trophy and he's trying to do an interview and he's talking and he's trying to concentrate on answering these interview questions and his kids are just reaching for the trophy. And you begin to see, you can kind of see it on here. See their grubby little fingerprints at the base of the Super Bowl trophy? Yeah, the kids are just touching the trophy. And I'm watching this and I like Tom Brady. He's a Michigan man. Anyway, and so You know, I'm I'm happy for him, but I'm just like really annoyed by his kids because they're just touching the trophy and there's fingerprints. And I'm looking, they've got shots of all the players who for all these games, blood, sweat, and tears, they earned it, right? So he's interviewing and it's like he loses his concentration. He just lets go of the trophy. And his little daughter, Vivian, she's like nine years old at the time, is holding the Super Bowl trophy. And I'm sitting here thinking, if I'm one of them, one of the teammates, I'd be livid right now because this girl's treating it like it's a Barbie doll, right? It's like, you know, throwing it up in the air and jumping up and down with it. And and I'm just so mad. And I heard myself just internal monologue going, what on earth is it doing in her hands? She did nothing to earn it. She gets to hold it because of what her father did. And suddenly went, oh, exactly. Exactly. You want to know what happens when in the face of rejecting your worth in the eyes of the Father? Running after fulfillment outside of the Father? Relying on yourself instead of the Father? When you can respond the way the Father did in each of those instances, you know what happens? People see a pathway to God's glory because of what the Father did. And in each of those stories, you know, it was, it was um, an invitation to the table and land and servants to farm the land. It was a ring and a robe and sandals and a fattened calf and a feast. You know, it was an invitation to come inside as a Super Bowl trophy. It's not any of those things. You want to know what the response of the Father now is to you and I? It's a Savior on a cross and an empty tomb that translates to eternal glory. So as the worship team comes back up and as we close this morning, don't forget, don't ever forget the Father's doing informs your being and my being and the being of every single person around us. Let's carry that into Monday and every single day. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you on this Father's Day 2022 and we absolutely celebrate earthly fathers. But Lord, the one thing that endures is the love of you, our Heavenly Father. And so Lord, with that in mind, let us look at earthly fathers in a new light. Lord, let us look at one another and be able to celebrate them because you celebrate them. Because of your love for them and your love for us. In your wisdom, you saw fit to set up human relationships in this way. And yes, we rebel. There are so many faces of rebellion, but Lord, in the midst of all of it, Lord, give us your responses because of what you did for us at the cross in order to establish our being in your eyes. We pray all this in Jesus' name on this Father's Day. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Happy Father's Day.